Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of Nursing Matters with me, Rachel Hollis. I'm the chair of the Royal College of Nursing Professional Nursing Committee. I'm a children's cancer nurse and I live in North Yorkshire. This week, we'll be talking about nursing activism. Our upcoming ballot on strike action was launched in response to this year's NHS Pay Award. But nurses have been raising their voices, advocating for their profession and demanding change for decades. We're delighted to be joined by Professor Dame Anne-Marie Rafferty, past RCM President and Professor of Nursing Policy at King's College London. Hello, Anne-Marie, and welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Rachel. It's great to be here. Anne-Marie, our strike ballot will open in England, Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales on the 15th of September. But this isn't the first time that nursing staff have made demands for better pay or working conditions, is it? No, it certainly isn't. It's something where there's a rich history and a precedent for strike action as well. In 1922, actually, there were a group of nurses from what was known as Saxondale Asylum near Radcliffe-on-Trent, who actually went on strike. This was female nurses in the female wards because of the cuts to government funding, the what they called the Geddes Acts in public spending after World War I meant that there was some economic retrenchment. And one of the casualties of that was government spending in local councils and authorities who were funding the asylum for the asylum sector generally, especially for so-called paupers. And so there were proposals by the then visiting committee, which was a group of highly privileged individuals, MPs, Conservative MPs, mainly landowners, etc., who decided that in order to pull in their horns financially, Mm. that uh, they would cut the wages of nurses and extend their hours from 60 to 65 hours and 10% of their wages, which was met with protest and amazing, stupendous resistance in which the nurses barricaded themselves in the wards with the patients were continuing to work and look after them. Later on, they were joined by some male attendants or keepers, as they were also known, from the asylum. But they were met with a, just a brutal attack from over 60 policemen and mm. uh, with busloads of blacklegs to break the strike. And it was really a very repressive moment in healthcare and and nursing history. And Mm. eventually these uh, nurses were basically dismissed from their their positions. So it it was a very sad state of affairs, but they found, managed to find. That's a fantastic example, Anne-Marie. And I think one of the things that perhaps it also shows, because you said that they, the nurses barricaded themselves in with their patients and continued to work so that you know even in that taking of strike action actually they were showing you know their that patient care was still at the forefront of their concern absolutely and i mean s- several of these patients had typhoid so they were separated off in cubicles for infectious disease patients and one of them were dying and this made no difference 
to the attacks that were visited upon Mm. them from the police. It demonstrates that nurses are prepared to take action when, you know, faced with not just significant curbs to their working conditions, but it's a question of social justice as well. As a profession, I think we're really lucky to have had nursing leaders who've taken actions such as those you've talked about to make a real difference in their field and in society. Who would you pick out from the past as sort of great um, leaders in your view? Well, I mean, I think there are two people probably from different parts of the political spectrum, but uh, at least two. Um, maybe I'll be allowed a third. But, I mean, Mrs. Mrs. Bedford Fenwick, who will be known to many people, was an activist. She was a suffragist, and she brought together the synthesis of feminism and nursing. And she saw, of course, she saw and she sought the securing of nurse registration after the First World War, in which she was very successful, having waged a battle for 30 years to accomplish this. So, and she was a prolific writer. She had edited her own journal, Nursing Record and Hospital World, that then became the British Journal of Nursing. And that was basically a major campaigning platform uh, for her major cause, because she believed that registration, control of your own professional affairs, setting standards, was basically the professional equivalent of suffrage, giving women the vote and having control of over their own political destiny and enabling them to participate more fully in political life. Mm. So uh, Mrs. Bedford-Fenix, one of my heroines, I think Thora Silverthorne was another. I mean, oh gosh, she was absolutely incredible. And she was the daughter of coal miner, a bit like myself, mm. brought up in the Welsh Valleys and joined the Communist Party at the age of 16. She then became very active initially through the Communist Party. She was also a member of the Labour Party. But she nannied initially for Somerset Hastings, who was a Labour MP, and he saw potential in her and said, you know, you've got to go and get yourself a career and suggested nursing. He was a doctor as well. And... Her sister had been in Oxford at the Radcliffe Infirmary, so she enrolled at the Radcliffe Infirmary where she completed her training. But she was a real firebrand and actually in 1936 was in the vanguard of setting up the British hospital in the near Huesca is in Aragon in Spain with the in British medical contingent um, during the Spanish Civil War. Mm. And she stayed there for a number of years, met her first husband, came back, got married. But she established the first grassroots National Nurses Association and set up a journal as well. Again, this communications Mm. is such an important part of how you mobilise the support and actually build that sense of solidarity with, with your fellow nurses. So Thora's one of my my heroines as well. She was fearless mm-hmm. um, in, in her campaigning. Another heroine of mine is Monica Bailey, who was actually an RCN staff member for many years, and she helped to lead the Raise the Roof campaign. 
She's also a celebrated nurse historian. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she understood the role that history could play in helping us to understand when those moments of activism are possible, when the, the window of opportunity opens. And, um, I mean, she was very courageous, I think, uh, in pushing at the, the boundaries because that was about, although we had a pay system in place the Whit- through the Whitley Council, mm. it was about lengthening the kind of the pay bandings to give nurses more of a career kind of ladder and, and opportunity. So I think that's a very powerful triumphant who actually give us tremendous inspiration from the past to help us mobilise in the present. At the RCN now, we have our Fair Pay for Nursing campaign. And as we've said, we are about to ballot members on whether or not to take strike action. And Anne-Marie, I wonder, can you give us a brief overview of, of what's happened to nurses' pay, staffing levels and working conditions over the last 10 years or so that have really driven us to that point? Definitely, and on the pay, I think it's well known that this is not just an issue for nurses, Mm. but we have had pace stagnation of the last 10 years. I think I'm correct in saying that the value of what you can basically buy, and this is going to only become so much more intensified with the cost Mm. of living crisis for your, your pound, has decreased, you know, until... The, the triggering of this crisis and, and double-digit inflation levels and rising. But as I say, nurses are not alone in that regard. Staffing levels, we know that we start, you know, we've got 100,000 vacancies, of which about half, roughly, are nursing in the National Health Service at this moment. And that basically is the highest level of vacancies historically, that we've actually had. And now I can't say from the very beginning of the National Health Service, although it would be very interesting to see if one could make that statistic actually stick. But it's certainly one that is seriously alarming and so vexatious because we are, are we coming out of a pandemic? This seems to be coming more of a an endemic situation with Mm. COVID, we have on top of the well-known causes of vacancies, we have the mental health morbidity of a profession that's been under tremendous pressure, is increasingly exhausted and Mm. is having to cope with spiralling demand from long COVID in its own cadres and, and ranks, as well as patients and dealing with an increasing backlog of many different competing priorities. So the demand side is rising. It feels in an everlasting way. And the supply of labour, and particularly highly skilled and experienced nurses, seems to be dwindling. So I think this is all summing up to a very, very tight labour market, increasing inflation and the stagflation in wage terms means that people are going to be really, really 
feeling the, a major pinch in their pockets. And I think the attitude that we've had thus far from the government certainly hasn't helped to palliate those concerns. If anything, it's added fuel to the fire. No profession would take industrial action lightly, especially not nursing, but I think we're um, at a stage where that is under active consideration. As we've heard, the, the RCN is encouraging people to to vote. I heard Francis Grady of the Trade Union Congress on the radio asking whether workers have to withdraw their labour in order for their employers or, or governments to recognise its its value. Do you think that governments recognise the value of the work of nursing? It's easy to say, no, of course they don't. But what do governments understand? Before we come to that conclusion, Mm. I think we need to understand what do governments really know? Because one of the big challenges is educating politicians, educating civil servants about nursing. But if we just take the now past Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, Mm. who, after his experience of having COVID and being in ITU, was full of praise for nursing staff. So much so that he said they actually saved his life and he enumerated those activities, the surveillance, the watching, Mm. the monitoring, that was crucial to his capacity to eventually recover. So with one breath, he's giving praise. And with another breath, he, through his government, was defined. Okay, moving the dial from a 3 to a 4% pay offer. Mm-hmm. But I think there's something fundamental here at work, which is somehow nurses may be misperceived and in terms of their expertise and the excellence of the work that they do, which a lot of which is what Boris Johnson was applauding, risk management. Mm. And it's very easy to forget that that's a very sophisticated task requiring cognitive capacity as well as emotional and physical skills, but judgment, professional judgment, highly honed over many, many years. So on the one hand, I think when people as individuals have encounters with nurses, they get it. They absolutely understand it. And yet when nurses are treated en masse, en bloc, as in a pay deal, it's somehow you're kind of reduced to this common denominator a nurse is a nurse is a nurse is a widget is a widget is a widget and and worth 4% because we must keep public expenditure down. And if Mm -hmm. you inflate nurses' pay, then you inflate other public sector pay awards and it creates this kind of escalating domino effect because policy is driven by fear of the consequences. So I think there's contradictions and tensions in how nursing is perceived and it's perceived in different ways depending on which government department we are dealing with. And even at the best of times with the Prime Minister, it seems that it wasn't possible, given that perilous moment, to translate that into better pay.
we know from the past that industrial action and strike action can be a really effective tool to make demands to improve not only pay, but all kinds of working conditions. We'll talk a bit more later about the link between pay and, and staffing levels. But going on strike is, is the last thing any nurse would want to do. But for the first time in the history of the RCN, nurses did take part in industrial action in Northern Ireland in 2019 and to early 2020. This included three days of strike action. And Anne-Marie, you were president of the RCN at, at the time and involved in supporting that industrial action. Why was it the right thing to do at the time? Well, that major decision was made by nurses in Northern Ireland and could only be made by them. And I think it's a decision that came really from frustration at three years of political paralysis, seeing the value of their pay decline disproportionately in relation to other countries and devolved nations of the UK. So very much lagging behind even in UK terms, let alone other norms And also what I call the sticky floor, you know, that meant that there was no progression for people or very limited progression, not just in pay, but actually in being able to improve your pay by career progression. Northern Ireland was like an extreme example of what was actually at work in the rest of the UK. And I think nurses had just had enough But I think the feeling that I was aware of was the mood was defiant, it was determined. And of course, there were nurses out there who could, you know, they were saying things like, I could never have imagined actually doing doing this. Mm. But I think partly reassured and egged on by patients in some cases, talking over with patients and having... It's like an incredible warm blanket of public support. That's what one of the things that really impressed me, you know, mm. out on the picket line, the hooting horns, the endless supplies of hot drinks and sanis and, and food that the public were bringing to the picket lines. And just that kind of knowing that the public have got your back. And they are also vocal in their support for you. Gives incredible strength of resolve and confidence in what you're doing, as well as fueling that sense of we can do this. We can make change happen. We are empowered. We've taken charge of our own destiny and we're doing it in a way through the derogation rules that means we are not putting anyone in jeopardy. Mm. And this was managed in a psychologically and clinically safe manner. No one came to harm. But I think the boost to the nursing sense of resolve and empowerment was awesome and electrifying to feel and witness. And, oh gosh, do you know what? If you want 100,000 reasons why, just 
speaking to nurses on the picket lines, so many different ways of articulating why we are doing this in beautifully wrought language. And I just wish, you know, we'd actually picked up a lot of the incredible phrases that nurses were coming out with because they are the best, as you've said at the beginning, I think, Rachel, Mm -hmm. natural activists, natural advocates. And nurses are eloquent in their own, they see it as articulating their own expertise and the rationale, because this was ultimately framed and formulated, which it is, in terms of science Mm -hmm. and safety. And these are very powerful tools of what I call the soft power tools that nurses are using, I think, to great effect in making the case for taking this action. And not only asserting that as a positive thing, but actually also thinking through the consequences of not doing it, which is Mm. equally as important. And I think what you said there is that very powerful call for you know, this is a call for, for change that goes right to the heart of, of where we are as a profession, I think. Yes, it does, actually. This is a call to action and it's a moment. And there are times when you have to respond. You just feel in your heart as well as your head that it's a kind of make or break moment. And we've all got to pull together and move forward in lockstep with each other. You talked earlier about the fact that, you know, we're in the middle of a a cost of living crisis. You talked about um, inflation rising and and rising. And of course, you know, there is a risk that that members, um, by taking industrial action, may face a loss of income um, for the days when when they do so. The RCN is offering a strike benefit that's been increased of £50 a day to those on picket lines to, to mitigate against that. But it still must be a concern for, for some. What would you say to members about some of the long-term gains that industrial action can provide that might perhaps mitigate against some short-term loss? Well, I think if it's able to boost the offer and now I'm not an industrial relations person, and I don't, you know, I don't know the mechanism, what the mechanisms are, to make these things happen. But I think it was an Iron Bevan who said that, and I'm talking here about government, that you can't make progress without treading on someone's corns, mm. and you know, you've got to be able to stand up and be prepared to confront government. And as he said, so long as the right people squeal, I like to hear them. And we have to be prepared to make people squeal. Mm. And to do, sometimes there's a lot of testing of the degree to which nurses are themselves prepared to squeal. I don't mean that in terms of accepting financial pain, but there is going to be some sacrifice in the short term that will be necessary. But if we even take 
in the university sector where we have had strikes for the past Mm -hmm. nine months to a year, you know, these have actually brought benefits in terms of changing the management offer, as it's called, Mm -hmm. for the better, you know, especially Mm -hmm. for our younger colleagues. So I think what's important is that we have got to think about the long term because it's really a battle. It's not just a battle for patient safety. It's not just a battle for staffing levels. It's also a battle for the survival and the sustainability of the profession and our National Health Service. I mean, that's really what's at stake here. And I think you talked earlier about nurses being not just advocates for their profession, but also agents for change in in wider society and and agents of of change in terms of social justice. Is is that where you see this campaign sitting? Is that that where, where you would say that we need to be raising that voice? Absolutely, because nurses are absolutely crucial in driving access to care, you know, quality and patient outcomes. And we know that when we start rationing nursing, we start rationing the quality and the volume of care. Now, if government wants the backlog, the catch-up to happen and to ensure that we don't widen the ever-widening inequalities Mm. post-COVID even further, then we're going to have to pay a price. You can't run a system on goodwill, everlastingly so. And, you know, so much discretionary effort already goes into the system. We're having journalists now talking about the treatment of, in terms of working conditions Mm. of workers, such as within the the NHS, as as being appalling and one of the worst in not just the public, but the private sector. So I think there's got to be a real, I think it's a moment of reckoning, Rachel. I really, Mm. really do. I, I I feel it's coming. And at one level, and I know that this has been said in the press, you know, the current Prime Minister is going to have to face this. Mm. And it may be a real moment of reckoning for her, how she responds. So one final question, I think, Anne-Marie, is that you know we've, we've seen how embedded activism is in nursing as a profession. We've um, talked a bit about how trade union action has been used to achieve better pay and working conditions um, in the past for nurses. You talked about the Raising the Roof campaign um, and for other professions. What might you say to someone who's feeling ambivalent about strike action to convince them that taking action for change can be an act of professionalism as well as a demonstration of trade unionism in an organisation which brings together those two critical functions? I think that there's lots of people who probably are quite ambivalent, but I was Mm. speaking to someone just yesterday and, you know, they were basically saying that, I mean, I remember... Oh, it would have just been almost a, a reflex response previously to say, there's no way I would ever contemplate strike action. Mm. But actually now, 
this person was saying, I'm ready to entertain the idea and look at the arguments because I think particularly the woeful neglect of nursing and the impact of the psychological impact of the pandemic. And, you know, I think the sense of respect is actually really important. This is a battle not just for the sustainability of the profession and the NHS, but it's also a battle for greater respect for people. And I think that's how it links to that sense of outrage, moral indignation, that that respect has somehow been breached. My sense is, and from the data that we're, we're getting from the RCN and, and other places, from the TUC, is that the public are on board as never before as well. Hmm. And let's just face the fact, Rachel, nurses are top of the hit parade, aren't they, in the Veracity hmm. Index. They are the most trusted. And where are politicians? They are right down the bottom. I mean, that says a lot. I think we will have a lot of public support. And I think someone who is feeling ambivalent, that's why the communication and understanding all the FAQs which are on the RCN website, there's a dedicated page there for members to look at in Fair Pay for Nursing, which is one of the first things that pops up when you go on the website. So I think any... Anyone who has doubts, and that's all of us, can feel free to consult that. But but also, I think, talking with colleagues, talking with stewards, talking with your branch, and getting as much information to arm you in that decision. No decision will ever be taken lightly. It's momentous. Hmm. But I think the power, if, if I can just reel back to... 2019 November on that picket line and just feeling that incredible honestly it was quite electrifying it felt so empowering we're taking a stance don't mess with nurses nurses have the power to actually change the weather on the political fortunes of governments I fundamentally believe that this is not a battle against the government. It is also a fight for values and it's a fight for our future of our health service. It's a fight for the future of nursing. It's a fight for the future of society. Thank you, Anne-Marie. And I think that that is a great place to, to finish this conversation. We've reached the end of the podcast, but we'll be back very soon. And this episode is part of our mini series focusing on the critical issues of nursing pay, the effect of pay on the nursing workforce crisis, and the implications and the impact of taking industrial action, which we've heard about articulated so brilliantly by Anne-Marie this week. So for this week, thanks to my special guest, Professor Dame Anne-Marie Rafferty. Thank you, Rachel. And remember to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.